Welcome back, everyone, to the 36th episode of the Take the Points podcast, part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm your co-host, Tate Seth, joined as always by Arjun Menon, who has been beaming with joy ever since that Sunday night game. Arjun, how are you feeling? Yeah, the, the Sunday night game pretty much played out exactly how I w- would have wanted it, where Herbert looks like an absolute stud, Tua doesn't look that good, and while I don't really, like, I do care about the Chargers winning and win-loss record, I don't really think it's a TV stat. Chargers did pull it off, despite being three-and-a-half-point underdogs at home and being the most injured team in the NFL leading into that game. So it was a, it was a very, very great weekend for me, um, you know, watching the Chargers win, uh, watching the Lions win also. Um, before the episode starts, you know, I do, I, I know we are an NFL podcast, but mostly NFL, but do you want to pay respects to Mike Leach, his family, uh, you know, prayers out to him and anyone involved. That's a tough blow to the football world, even though he did coach in college. I'm sure a lot of his concepts trickled up um, into the NFL. So prayers out to him, his family. Um, may he rest in peace. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Rest in peace to Mike Leach. Um, you know, I really enjoyed always listening to his interviews, uh, watching his offenses, you know, from an analytics perspective, having the highest pass rate in the, in college football, basically every year. And, you know, I hope that his family is able to get through these, these tough times that, that they're going through. And it's, you know, it's really sad to see someone who still had so many years coaching left, go through what Mike Leach had to do. But uh, to to get back to, you know, kind of where we were at. So, you know, last week, um, you know, I, I had a great time, you know, I was, I was in Philadelphia uh, walking around, listening to the special episode that you did with Judah Fortgang. And, you know, I was worried that the listeners of this podcast wouldn't want me back on after Judah did such a good job. But, you know, I, I came back anyways. Um, and, and yeah, it was, it was a really good la- past week of football. And we have some like overall questions about teams or just like le- the league in general I want to talk about. And, you know, it might have been since I was just in Philadelphia and everything, but I have to start off with with the Eagles right now. And, you know, something I want to propose to you is are the Eagles better than the Chiefs and Bills right now? Or like, how do you kind of see those three teams uh, playing out? I think I think the, the Chiefs and Bills... I think the Eagles are better than both teams everywhere outside of quarterback where I I think it's you can pr- pretty easily say Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes are better is are better quarterbacks than Jalen Hurts but yeah the Eagles have the most w- well-rounded team because they don't have a weak link on the offensive line their really only issue in terms of personnel is a third receiver because they're starting like Quez Watkins but on defense they have defensive line depth. Like they can afford Robert Quinn going to the IR and not have any drop off in their pass rushing department. So deep linebacking room, Darius Slay and James Bradbury playing some of the best ball of their lives. Safety, you know, is, is fine for them. I don't really see that much of a weakness. And the thing with the Eagles is like they haven't really been tested this year. Like they've had one of the easiest schedules. But to counter that, like they they have like dominated a bunch of games as we saw this past weekend. So I think right now. I would take the Eagles roster over the Chiefs and Bills, but I do think both the Chiefs and Bills are better overall. I I think the team, I think the Chiefs and Bills would still be favored over the Eagles on a neutral. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I agree with the Chiefs and Bills being favored over the Eagles, but I do think the Eagles are the better team like right now, like week 14, because of kind of what we just saw this past week, but also what we've seen in the past month where you know, Eagles were seven and a half point favorites against the Giants. Bills were 10 point favorites against the Jets. The Bills let the Jets hang around 
and, you know, kind of like let that game, you know, get into like the second half. The Eagles, why I really, really like them is that when they play bad teams, they just completely blow them out of the yeah. water. The Giants didn't have a chance from, you know, the second really that that game started there. And they, you know, on, on all three phases of the game, they kind of just ran up the score against them. And, you know, I, I think like Chiefs and Bills are better suited for the future because they have, you know, a better quarterback. Like Jalen Hurts is playing really well right now. And we'll get to that uh, in, in the next topic. But yeah, you have largest point differential in the league for the Eagles. Um, you know, our friend Eric Eager pointed out that Nick Sirianni has added the most win probability above expectation on fourth downs, two-point attempts, timeouts, and delay a game avoidance. So, you know, shout out to everyone in the Eagles analytics department there. And like the, the Eagles are just like very, very well balanced. What worries me slightly about the Bills is they don't have uh, secondary receiving options right now. Yeah. Stephon Diggs, obviously very, very good. Gabriel Davis has cooled off. You know, he's yeah. averaged 28 receiving yards a game the past three weeks. And like, I, I don't really trust, you know, any receiver below him as well. You know, Chiefs are still amazing because they have Mahomes. But I, I, I do think, you know, if if like the games were to be played out right now, I would like the Eagles against the the Bills that, you know, that, that could change a couple weeks down the line. Yeah, I, I agree with you right now. I think the Eagles are playing like the better team. Obviously, that doesn't mean they are the better team. But yeah, Jalen Hurts is, is playing some of the best ball of his career. I know a couple of weeks ago, I was like a little bit skeptical of what the coaching staff trusts like and how they like thought about him. But he, I think he's completely put those kind of qualms to rest. Um, in the Titans game, we talked about on that episode how if the Eagles wanted to win their game, they're going to have to pass the ball and they pass the shit out of the ball throwing for over 300 yards. Same thing against the Giants where they don't have a Dory Jackson. They're going to play a ton of man. You should trust Hurts to be able to beat a pretty bad giant secondary through the air. And they took their foot off the gas pedal by halftime because of how good they are. So I, I do agree. Eagles are playing like the better team, have have a the better defense. And I think the other, you know, important point for the Bills is like losing Von Miller. Like we don't really know how big a, a how big a drop-off is from Von Miller to like Boogie Basham or AJ Epinesa. Like Greg Rousseau is kind of like blossomed a little bit this year, but he's still, I would say, more of a edge two guy. Like he's like a Bradley Chubb almost instead of like a true alpha edge one. So I, I do get a little bit worried about Buffalo sometimes um, because I think their defense has gotten exposed sometimes by good offenses like the Lions. Mm-hmm. Um, but but yeah, I mean, the Chiefs still have the best quarterback. And again, like anything can happen in the playoffs if if either of these three teams were to match up at any point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And my worry about the Chiefs is that their their defense is like just not that good. And, you know, I get this is something that Spags kind of does as a defensive coordinator for the Chiefs every year where it's a lot of, you know, sniffing around and finding out um, like, you know, the, the term that uh, ESPN would use <laughs> there for that. But like they rank 20th in the league right now in, in EPA per play. Um, in the past month, they've gotten cooked by the Chargers, you know, when the Chargers were were not as healthy as they are right now. The Bengals just did whatever they wanted yeah. with them, given, you know, the Chiefs inexperience at corners and how how well how good the the Bengals receivers was. And then the Broncos offense, which is, you know, had one of the worst seasons any offense in the league could have, you know, threw for three passing touchdowns against them. They let Jerry Judy kind of do whatever he wants again. And like I think, you know, obviously Mahomes is so good that almost that doesn't matter almost sometimes like how bad the the Chiefs defense is, but like they just need to get a couple stops uh, in the playoffs when they match up against a really good team like the Bills or the Bengals. And like, I'm not 100% sure that they can do that 
for Mahomes right now. And so that's what worries me about the Chiefs. Like that's why, you know, I I I I would still take the Chiefs against the Eagles, but the Eagles are just so much more balanced and they mm-hmm. play so much more complimentary that it just makes me feel better about them going forward. Yeah, the the thing with the Chiefs, so this is something I posted last week, but Steve Spagnuolo's defense has the highest like unpredictability score via like Shannon entropy, which is the measure, like one of the best or top mathematical measures for unpredictability. Spags this year has kind of mixed up his coverages more than any defensive coordinator or defensive play caller in the league. So it's like you said, like he is like trying to sniff around, like find out what works. They are playing with a very young secondary that, you know, like their complete liabilities um, at, at certain in certain years. But I, I do think like because of how young the secondary is, they are going through growing pains and Spags isn't making it easy on them. He is calling a pretty complex like array of defenses. And of course, since the Chiefs are usually playing from with a lead, they are like facing the pass most of the time, which is why I think they're like EPA numbers. Uh, look a lot worse. Mm-hmm. That's that's a really good point. Um, about yeah, them them facing passing more often because there's a lot of signal in in volume. Um, that's kind of a good transition to the next topic. Um, that we wanted to talk about. So right now the betting markets have, uh, the MVP race as Jalen Hurts minus one seventy five, Patrick Mahomes plus two hundred, Joe Burrow plus seven fifty, Josh Allen plus 2000. And then it kind of goes from there. So Jalen Hurts is the odds on favorite to win MVP right now. And, you know, I think he has, he has a really good case. You know, if, if it were me voting, Mahomes would be first on my ballot because Mahomes is having the 13th best season of any quarterback with at least 300 plays since 2016, uh, using EPA per play. So he's having, you know, MVP level season right now. And, you know, even last week against the Broncos, he threw three interceptions and still finished with a 0.13 EPA per play. So, you know, he, he can still do stuff like that even when he makes mistakes, but knowing how the voters kind of overvalue interceptions when they're not as, you know, bad as, um, as like, you know, the analytics has found, I think like Hertz starts to have a case here because he's, you know, not been as good of a passer, but he's third in EPA per play right now, overall second in total EPA. Um, cause he's had more plays than Tua has had. And then as a rusher, you know, he's second in um, rushing EPA on the year behind Justin Fields. And the biggest thing to me about this is Miles Sanders is seventh in rushing EPA right now, despite being average in rushing yards over expected. Mm-hmm. So it Jalen Hurts when he is, you know, not handing the ball off, but running in the other direction is helping Miles Sanders so much. And, you know, the, I think like Jalen Hurts' ability to throw the deep ball is giving Miles Sanders lighter boxes. So like, this is like what you want to see from MVP. Like Jalen Hurts is so valuable to the Eagles right now, and maybe he could win the award because of it. Yeah, it's it's a tough question. I, I do agree with you that I think Mahomes is uh, the MVP and interceptions are being overvalued. Like, I mean, Mahomes threw three interceptions and still put up, like you said, a 0.13 EPA. Chiefs had 30. 30- 28 27 offensive points it's not like the three picks hurt the chiefs it's not like mahomes throwing picks has kind of lost the chiefs any games this year either um but it's tough to like play the counterfactual game but if i ask like if you put mahomes behind the eagles offensive line with the eagles aggressive play calling with aj brown and um Devontae smith dallas goddard would he be having a better season than jalen hurts and like what is 
overall EPA be better than what it is on the Chiefs right now? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, and yeah, that's true. It, I do think that you know Mahomes would be better in that regard, and you know that that kind of just boils down to like what exactly is the MVP award? Because like you know it's it goes back to like how Bill Belichick should probably just win Coach of the Year yeah. every year. You know during his peak, um, and like he, he didn't he didn't get the the um, Coach of the Year award every year despite being the best coach but like maybe there was a coach that exceeded their preseason win total more and was given you know more valuable and like I think you could kind of make that case with Hurts here where you know Mahomes is is the better quarterback than Hurts and uh you know has probably had the better season but like Jalen Hurts's value and the way that they've designed this whole offense around him and like what he's been able to do, you know, with AJ Brown getting there and like how quickly that they were able to establish a connection and, you know, elevating um, De- uh, Devontae Smith's games and, you know, being a mobile quarterback, like it helps their offensive line because edge rushers get off at like a lower speed against a mobile quarterback than a quarterback who stands in the pocket more. Mm-hmm. So c- kind of when you add all that stuff up together, I can see why the voters would have a path for Hertz. And, you know, the, I, the betting market is expecting him to really do well the rest of the season uh, enough to overtake Mahomes, and like we can kind of see that start off, you know, this Sunday where Hertz gets to play the Bears, who I think have the worst defense in the league right now. You know, given how they played over the past month, so that could really be a stat padding game for him to even propel him further. Yeah, I don't, I don't even think we mentioned like wins. Like Eagles <laughs> are going to probably finish like sixteen and one or fifteen and two, depending on how they play that last game. But yeah, it's it's an interesting uh, decision for voters and. Um, you know, what the Eagles decide to do with Hertz is going to be, I think, the most interesting move of the offseason because two things. One, you know, Herbert and Burrow are easily going to get long-term deals. I don't know what's going to happen with Tua depending on how he finishes the year. And two, the Eagles are, in my opinion, the most proactive team in terms of extending their play- the players that they drafted, getting ahead of Dallas Goddard on the market, getting ahead of, like, A.J. Brown as soon as they traded for him. Like, they like to be proactive in these type of moves. And I, I think Jalen Hurts will be there as well, but you never know with the Eagles. Howie Roseman doesn't have a, doesn't have that much emotion. So, and that's that's the way sometimes you got to lead an NFL building mm-hmm. because you know if if he had emotion, he probably wouldn't have taken, or I shouldn't say if he had emotion. If he led, if he like led his draft priors, twenty seventeen, all of that play into his or twenty sixteen play into his mind too much, they wouldn't have taken Hurts mm-hmm. in uh, twenty twenty. But I want to hear one thing from you uh, before we move on. So, you know, I, I think you're really good with this contract stuff. So, you know, someone who's not as good as it, does Hertz not having the fifth year option since he was a second round pick compared to Burrow and Herbert having that fifth year option kind of affect how their their deals will get made? You know, like, let's say even if they're all at the same production, like all deserved the same level of contract, does that fifth year option kind of affect the extension from Hertz's side? I think it does because the like... Hertz's contract will kick in earlier than Herbert to and, and Burrow. So his first year is going to be a year earlier than the other three, which will mean his like eight, like his cap percentage or percentage of the cap allocated to Hertz will be higher. Like he, his APY relative to the year he signed and the first year of his contract will be higher than Herbert and Burrow and Tua. So I think it does affect it a little bit. And again, with Hertz, we're kind of, we only have like one real great year from him. Like it's, it's an, uh, an elite year of production. And with Herbert and Burrow, I do think, you know, we have multiple years and with two, we have four games. Um, but, but yeah, that was a, that was a great discussion. I think we should move on to the vaunted Detroit lions. I just want to hear from you. 
all your thoughts about the team. Start with the offense. <laughs> uh, yeah, from from just a fan perspective, um, you know, this is the most excited I've been about a team since you know the beginning of the 2019 season um, when they started off three three and one had you know top. Uh, eight offense with the worst defense in the league. You know, this team is a little similar, like their, their offense is really good, but their defense isn't the worst defense in the league anymore. And like, that's what makes me excited about them. I think that the lions are not as bad as they were the first half of the season, not as good as they are, you know, this, the second half of the season, they're somewhere in the middle as these things often are, but you know, I, I have to just give props to the Lions offensive coordinator, Ben Johnson, keep him a secret. Don't let his name get out into head coaching circles, but I ha I have to talk about him here. You know, the Lions have had the best passing game in the league since week eight, when Amon Ross St. Brown returned from injury. They have the most diverse run game in the league. They use outside zone, the 15th most often and uh, man blocking scheme, the 17th most often. So there's no tell to what the defense is going to do. They're not just like a solely outside zone or solely man yeah. blocking scheme. Like, we see with a lot of other teams and the game against the Vikings this past week was huge in particular for the offense because it showed that they don't need a hundred plus yards from St. Brown to put up a lot of points, you know, coming into this game um, since, since the week eight uh, mark that I talked about, Amon Ross St. Brown has led the league in first down conversions, had the fifth highest yards per route run, but he only had a couple first down conversions in this game. He had the 32nd yards per route run in the league. And DJ Chark, Josh Reynolds, yeah. they were able to take over. They were able to show their chemistry with Goff. And like the with, when the offense plays at this level, they can put up a ton of points. And then the Lions defense just makes a couple of stops. You know, they forced a huge turnover against Dalvin Cook when they tried to run a jump pass. They've been 25th best defense in the league since week eight, which is an upgrade over the 32nd that yeah. they were the first eight weeks. And like that's that's kind of like the formula for winning in, in the NFL. Um, you know, long term, you know, they're they're probably around, you know, a, a 500 team. And like, that's probably what their record will finish at this season. And when you have, you know, a top eight offense and a bottom, you know, 10 defense, that's usually what we see those records uh, turn out to be. Yeah, I'm I've been so impressed with Ben Johnson this year. Like you said, I, I really hope he gets a year with a, a QB with higher upside. But I mean, with Jared Goff, it's like I think Ben Johnson's doing all the right things, pushing the easy buttons. Um, you know, golf was pretty good on play action, was was pretty good under play action um in in the Vikings game. But it's like you said, the secondary receivers being there for golf, Reynolds and DJ Chark, like that's huge. And I think like I wasn't expecting too much out of a guy like Josh Reynolds. I did have some hope for DJ Chark, and he's kind of proven to be that deep ball guy. But then you add Jamison Williams into the mm -hmm. fold, and I'm just like did the Vikings not do any scouting on the lines? Like what Jamison Williams was like, I don't know how he got that wide open again, part of it's probably Ben, ben Johnson's scheme, uh, scheming him open. But I think if you go into 2023 with JMO, with JMO, uh, Amonra, and then you keep one of like Reynolds or DJ Chark as a third receiver, um, you probably let Chark walk and get like a sixth round or seventh round comp pick. That's the formation of like a pretty good wide receiving room. But I, I do have to ask you, like, we, we've seen a good stretch from Goff. I think, like, he's playing above my expectation. I think he's probably playing above yours heading into the year. But, again, one of the toughest positions to evaluate is quarterback. And we don't really know how much of Goff's success is stemming from the scheme, stemming from having one of the better offensive lines, but or at least the better offensive tackle duos in the league. Like, what is your thoughts about Jared Goff heading into 2023? Like, do you still want to draft a quarterback? and use him as a bridge or do you want to cut him out right like what is what is your plan 
if you were like part of the Lions with mm-hmm. Jared Goff. Yeah, I mean this 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 past six weeks has you know changed a lot of people's minds on Jared Goff. You know, I think uh, I've I've been really impressed with the way he's played, but it's almost gone too far in. Uh, his direction where now people are classifying him as like a, you know, quote unquote, good quarterback mm-hmm. when I think he's somewhere in the middle, you know, that's kind of where he's been um, his entire career. Yeah. He is in the Kirk tier. Uh, and like a, a Kirk tier is not someone you want to, you know, stage uh, your, your uh, regime to, as you know, we've seen so many times um, where, you know, these, these, these teams all want to get out of their Kirk quarterbacks or just maintain uh, mediocre like the like the Vikings have. Um, so, you know, I think from like moving forward perspective, you know, now that the Rams have, you know, won that game against the the Raiders on Thursday night, that kind of takes the Lions out of top two pick, yeah. you know, consideration. Um, so from that perspective, you know, you're going to get uh, a, like a more developmental quarterback. So I do think that you, you probably will roll – out golf next year as your starting quarterback with a rookie sitting there, whether you draft that rookie in the first round with the Rams pick all the way up until maybe the third round with some of the quarterback prospects sitting there that we'll get to more in draft season. And then you can kind of ride golf until the wheels fall out. You know, we've seen golf succeed with a really good offensive line, you know, in LA and a really good offensive line like they have in Detroit right now. And then also good receiving options, good play caller. When all those things are working for him and he's not getting pressured and, you know, receivers are open he's able to make things work. He's just not able to create and elevate. And so that's why you go out and you take a risk on a quarterback and, you know, with how hard it is to draft quarterbacks, maybe that quarterback doesn't work out and you, you know, you can get out of golf or, you know, look for other options or just stick with them because, you know, if you can create an efficient passing offense with him and your offense doesn't get figured out, then you can, you can kind of go from that, that part. Yeah, I think, so I think you can roll with golf in 2023 and it's like, it's not that it's not like, the Vikings level of like, they don't really have that much cap because I think Brad Holmes is a very good GM because, mm-hmm. because since coming to the lions, you see the way he drafts in the early rounds, he prioritizes um, important positions, right? Ta- you have Panay Sewell on a rookie deal, Amon St. Brown on a rookie deal, Jamison Williams on a rookie deal, Aiden Hutchinson on a rookie deal, um, Jeffrey Okuda on a rookie deal, right? So you're talking about like probably the five most important non- um or the mo- the five most premium non-quarterback positions in the NFL you have guys on rookie deals so you don't have to shell out a ton of money in free agency you're building it through the draft which means you can sustain a guy like Goff at quarterback if those draft picks pan out right and obviously it's it's too early to say for guys like Aiden Hutchinson and even Jamison Williams but the early returns on guys like Panay Sewell and Amon Roy St. Brown show that like you're going to have these guys on cheap deals so if Maybe Goff takes another step forward to finish the year, takes the lines into the, into the playoffs. Maybe you roll with him. But I, I do agree with you that, I mean, you're probably not going to have Ben Johnson for much longer. And if he was able to, if he's able to do this with Goff, I would only imagine the offensive ceiling is raised even higher if they get a, a quarterback with more upside, even if he isn't the most polished mm-hmm. prospect. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point on, you know, why they can roll with Goff next year. Um, you know, I think Brad Holmes has done a tremendous job as Lions GM. My one worry about him is he drafted Goff yeah. when he was in LA. So he has the draft priors that we've talked about before. So I just don't want him to, you know, finalize Goff as a long-term answer and maybe and use all the draft picks on building up the defense yeah. or getting offensive line depth or whatever he thinks is 
you know, kind of like the weakness of this team. You still should be looking, you know, out into the future because the, a rookie contract quarterback could really help you when you have to give the guys that you mentioned extensions right. because Penny Sewell is, you know, the same age as us basically. And he's already, you know, an all pro yeah. tackle. So he's going to get paid a ton of money. Um, you know, Kuda will probably get a pretty decent uh, extension, you know, when his, when his time comes for that. And so like there, there's going to be players that have to get paid on this Lions roster right now. But like when Brad Holmes finds like someone like James Houston in the sixth round, yeah. who's gotten three sacks in three games this year and just provided, you know, a lot of juice to that pass rush or undrafted free agent, Jerry Jacobs, who's the Lions second best corner right now. Like if he can keep doing stuff like that, this, and you know, it's sustainable, then you're always going to have like an influx of talent flowing in. And like, that's why you can kind of pay more for a quarterback than, you know, other teams might pay for them just to make sure you have that quarterback. But that'll also be a super interesting decision to see how the lions handle the situation with golf this off season and going forward. Yeah, no, I agree. So that, that was a very fun game. I'm, I'm very curious to see how the lions fare in New York. We've kind of, or you've done a good job outlining like golf's like struggles outside of Detroit or outside of a dome, you know, playing in MetLife um, or not, is it, is it MetLife? MetLife, yeah. MetLife in New York. Probably going to be a colder environment, something we've seen golf struggle with in the past. Um, but typically, I like to bet, on, or not just like from a betting perspective, I favor elite offenses over elite defenses. And while the Jets defense is as good as they come, the Lions offense has been rolling as good as anyone. So mm-hmm. very excited for that matchup. I'm sure we'll preview it on Friday. Um, but let's, let's go on to another team, the San Francisco 49ers, who whose offense has not missed a beat since Brock Purdy's taken over. Um, you know, Kevin Cole, formerly PFF, wrote a great article on his Substack, uh, Unexpected Points, about, you know, Jimmy G and, and kind of just like talking about the value he brings to the San Francisco offense. But I did think it was ironic timing. And then Brock Purdy steps in versus a pretty solid Bucks defense and, you know, kind of does whatever the hell he wants. Um, like, how big of a downgrade is Purdy from Jimmy G, do you think? I think you can make lightning in a bottle work for five or six weeks with a backup quarterback like Brock Purdy, but eventually there are going to be limitations. You know, those of us who watched Brock Purdy in college saw that he got worse basically each season he was at Iowa State. And, you know, he he ended up, you know, not being that good of a draft prospect, despite having, you know, some some tools to work with. And, you know, being a, a seventh round draft pick, the last pick of the draft, I think, you know, it's it's going to be tough for him to stay like this the whole time. And like, this has kind of happened before Nick Mullins threw for, I think 300 yards and three touchdowns in his first game, starting for Kyle Shanahan and the 49ers, and then kind of regressed to where, you know, he had a pretty significant um, drop off from Jimmy G's EPA per play and efficiency. And what I think is really interesting is this supporting cast is so good. Even if Purdy were to regress from the level that he played uh, against the Bucks, like I think it, it it still could be okay because you have Kyle Shanahan who adds. Um, you know, when when I did uh, a mixed effects model trying to quantify play callers when I was at PFF, uh, he adds about zero point zero three EPA per pass. So you know, pretty big bump. That was second behind Andy Reid. But then you also just have like this plethora of weapons. Yeah. You know, on Purdy's best throw of the day, uh, outside the numbers. You know, on the on the left sideline to 
uh, Christian McCaffrey oh, for yeah. the touchdown. That was gorge. Yeah, it was a great throw. <laughs> and like this was like peak Shanahan. George Kittle was lined up in the backfield. Yeah, yeah. McCaffrey was the one receiver on the as the outside option on the left. The Bucks sent six, so they blitzed. Kittle made a key block, and then Purdy threw a great pass, and McCaffrey beat his man yeah. to the end zone. And like this is what Shanahan's gonna do, right? Like he's gonna do everything he can to make Purdy's life easy. And, and like, I think that's why like it could work. Maybe they could ride it out to the divisional round, the NFC championship, but like there is going to be a limit to what they can do eventually. Yeah, I, I agree. There is a limit and Shanahan is pushing the easy buttons for Brock Purdy. Purdy's a dot is 5.9 or was 5.9 in the Bucks game, 5.4 in the Dolphins game. Jimmy's a dot this season has been 7.3. So you can see like they're not asking Purdy to do too much, pushing the ball down the field. Obviously, the McCaffrey throw was was special. That was like a, a very nice throw. And that was one of their like downfield shots. But you're not going to ask Purdy to, you know, run a play action under center and, and throw a deep ball to Brandon Ayuk. Like that's just probably not in a skill set. And like 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 you said, um, he has he did get worse in college. So it's like it's tough to really project um how he's gonna play for the rest of the season. But yeah, he's probably going to be good in stretches. He, he gets the the terrible Seahawks defense, which allowed the Panthers offense to do whatever they wanted. So like, we're probably going to see another game of him like performing at a pretty solid level. But again, it it raises the question: like, what is Jimmy G to this offense? Like, is he is he is he the catalyst, or is he just like another enzyme? Right? Like, mm-hmm. we don't or Shanahan the catalyst. Like, we we don't know. Um, you know, the the EPA truthers want to say it's Jimmy G. The film nerds want to say it's not. It, it's probably somewhere in the middle. Mm-hmm. And I do, th- like, after the season or after the regular season, I want to have, like, that discussion with people when we bring on guests again, just, like, talking about, like, EPA and stuff. Because, like, like just today, today, recording on Tuesday, the whole discussion about EPA versus PFF grade versus just straight film, like, it's it's a big discussion. And, like, I do think EPA is a good stat, but I, I have, like, when you have guys like 2-1 Jimmy G in the top five, I have started, like, trending away from, like, like taking it, like, that, that seriously as a raw stat. I do think, and this is where we'll talk about it in the offseason, you have to create, if you're on a team or something some type of EPA over replacement or EPA over average where you're kind of like quantifying what an average quarterback would do in that situation. But you can't do that with public data. You need either route participation data via PFF, or you need to be able to recreate it with tracking data. Something like Matthew Rayers has done, who's now with Zellus or Brian Burke from ESPN that we've referenced multiple times. I do think you know, that's the side of EPA where I would get on board with. But again, it's it's very tough to do from the public. So I don't mind using it from a public sphere. But obviously, I think there's different ways to go about it if you're working for a team or a consulting company. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, that's that's a great, you know, kind of like tangent to go off of here. And I loved how you described like basically everything you said there. Uh, so EPA, I think, is a really good descriptive stat. It correlates really well to how many points you're going to have, yeah. winning percentage, all that stuff. Something I looked at uh, and made a graph for that I will tweet out when I tweet out that these uh, this episode link tomorrow is when a quarterback stays on the same team versus when they change teams, how does that affect their EPA per play from the season that they were in before to the next season, right? So 
from season N to season N plus one, when they stay with the same team, it correlates really well, right? Like yeah. they're, they're going to have about the same EPA per play that they had before. But when looking at, you know, the sample size of all these quarterbacks from 2014 to 2022, when they change teams, there's no, pre- there's no predictive value in using their EPA per play from the season before, because so much of it is situation and, yeah. and coordinator based. So that's why it's very descriptive. It can tell you exactly how well a passing offense is as a whole. And it is a quarterback statistic to some extent, yeah. but it just does when, when these quarterbacks change teams and they, they move somewhere else, it just doesn't give us that much value about how they're going to perform in the future. But there's, you know, there's not a lot of stats that do first of all. And then like when you look at, um, you know, kind of how film grinders uh, will put out, you know, their, their quarterback rankings, like going into a season, those usually age pretty poorly as well. Like, like, as many things in football are, but, you know, especially quarterback, it's just like so hard to predict. Like we don't know what's going to happen season to season. And like, that's why, you know, so many people love the storylines of the NFL because you have these quarterbacks that take huge jumps yeah. uh, early in their career, maybe late in their career, like Geno Smith. And then you have quarterbacks that kind of fall apart, you know, a- a- as their career goes on, like Russell yeah. Wilson this year. So like, it's it's just like, it's, it's just so dynamically uh, updating. And like, you have to have a process where you're, you're always changing your quarterback rankings when presented with new information. And, and like, that's why I think, you know, it's so interesting to like debate kind of like EPA per play versus PFF grade versus just like watching film in general and, and all that type of stuff when, when evaluating quarterbacks, because you really need an ensemble yeah. of all of it, but it still isn't that predictive in general, no matter what. Yeah, it is football. So it's not going to be that predictive. <laughs> I do think, you know, going back to that, to that graph, like there is some selection bias for a team for quarterbacks that change. Like they're probably not that good or they were good. got injured or like, we're having, like there is some selection bias there, but I do agree that it does show a little bit. Um, But yeah, that's again, that's a discussion for another time. We are in the middle of like an NFL season. So don't want to get too caught up with the nitty gritty of like NFL analytics. Okay. It's time talking about Sunday night, chargers, dolphins. We're going to talk about both teams because we have to, um, and because it is important for two play, like at least the Dolphins are probably going to make the playoffs. The Chargers are kind of in the hunt right now. Like that was one of the best performances I've seen from number one Justin Herbert and number two Brandon Staley. I know Herbert DPA was like 0.11. That's like league average. I know his PFF grade wasn't that great, but like again, if you were on Twitter during that game, I don't think you you saw one negative tweet about Justin Herbert. There was maybe two negative plays. And again, I'm trying to eliminate any, any sort of bias. So if you think otherwise, you can like DM me about anything else. There were probably two bad plays that Justin Herbert had. And again, it, it comes down to like, Justin Herbert is the offense. He still had an dot below like 5.5. Joe Lombardi's early down offense is still really bad. And Herbert still kind of overcame all of that, pressured on over 50% of his dropbacks. He was, you know, I think of those like, 24 25 pressures at least like 12 or 13 of them came within 2.5 seconds he had to overcome a lot to win that game and i think he was nearly perfect and i do want to give a ton of credit to brandon staley like we haven't i think he had another great game plan against the niners but this game plan against the dolphins was absolutely terrific and it's it's crazy because the Chargers were the most injured they've ever been especially on the defensive side of the ball missing their two best coverage players and had their best defensive performance. Like, I don't, I don't understand how that works. It's the chargers. So I'm just going to say like, you know, chalk it up to the game, but 
it was Staley's best game plan. And what he did is he replicated what the 49ers did, which you drop your linebackers eight, nine yards down the field. You force Tua to beat you underneath, which he can't. And you press their, uh, you press Tyreek and Waddle with your corners and you force them to like break your press and force Tua to, you know, make multiple reads, which again, we'll get to in a little bit, but I thought this was Staley's best game plan. And I do feel optimistic about the Chargers going forward because number one, Herbert looked as healthy as we've ever seen him. Two, the Chargers skill position players looked good and they're fully healthy or should be fully healthy. And then three, Staley's ability and willingness to change his game plans week over week showed in this game. And I think that's something that I was concerned about going into this game that he's going to do the same old too high light boxes, but he changed it up, went with a more aggressive game plan and it paid off. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad to hear how excited you are about it. I was excited for you. You know, I, we weren't able to watch the game together because I was out of town. We usually watch uh, Chargers primetime games together. And like, I was just thinking about, you know, how pumped you must've been the whole time because yeah, this is exactly what you wanted to see. And I do want to start with Brandon Staley uh, before we get to the quarterbacks. Yeah. You know, I think Staley has done a really good job um, the entire year with his defensive game plans when he's going up against high-end offenses. Uh, And, you know, we've seen this in in both of the Chiefs games where the defense was able to kind of get some some stops, you know, before uh, the the talent was just overmatched in the second half. And then, again, we saw this against the Dolphins here. And, you know, what was really interesting was – the 49ers gave the Dolphins offense the highest rate of press coverage that they've seen the entire year. Uh, you'll hear this on a million different things, but it's Dolphins have a timing based offense. Yeah. You know, they want to have a very quick time to throw and they want to, you know, throw to the intermediate area of the field. The second that Tua pulls the ball out of the running backs, uh, um, bread basket on an RPO. So by doing this press co- coverage, uh, you, you interrupt that and like chargers, you know, use, use that to a very high route, um, amount and like you pulled the next gen stats stat on this where like chargers used press coverage on 35 percent of the routes and they only allowed one completion on eight yeah. targets against those like that was that was the key to to getting that and then like we heard you know going into this week that the chargers defense has been really really bad against uh play action this year and really really bad against middle of the field throws and like they, the the Chargers just took away that completely, and you know wanted Tua to just like throw outside the numbers and not be able to throw to Hill and Waddle in the middle of the field. And like that's why like I'm I'm still like okay on the the Dolphins you know pass offense long term because I'm sure like Mike McDaniel will have a counter punch yeah. to the punch that's been thrown at him lately. And it was just it was just a more impressive job from the Chargers perspective. The whole defensive game planning and the how the corners played and you know didn't get burnt too many times by the Dolphins receivers than it was like I think like a really poor game from the Dolphins offense yeah so before this game the Chargers I believe were um I think they were minus 200 to miss the playoffs so Vegas basically said they have a 60 67 percent chance to uh, make the playoffs now they're minus 200 to make the playoffs um, because they are going to be favored in every game for the remainder of the year, playing the Titans where they're three-point favorites. Then they get the Colts and Rams who are god-awful teams. And then the Broncos who could be without Russell Wilson, but it's in Denver. So again, as a Chargers fan, I'm trying not to get my hopes up too high because they do this every year. They'll reel me back in with this amazing game. And 
you know, they they could just blow it at the end. But I do feel optimistic if Herbert's healthy. I think they can go um, minute to minute with anyone. I do want to say, though, I, I still have my worries about the offensive play calling because the like the Chargers don't generate explosive plays like the the cross field throwback was one of the prettiest throws from Herbert mm-hmm. all year to Mike Williams, put it on an absolute rope and dropped it in the breadbasket. But the Chargers offense still relies on Herbert being a god on third down. In this game, they averaged a negative 0.15 EPA per play on early downs, negative 0.05 uh, EPA per pass on early downs, but they were they had a 0.48 EPA per pass on late downs. They're still relying on Herbert to do to work his magic on late downs, which is fine. Like Herbert can do that, but it's just not a sustainable form of offense. And the other part is they have a 47.9 percent red zone touchdown rate which is 27th in the the league right now i know like you're not that familiar with it because the lions are like amazing in the red zone thanks to ben johnson and that really good offensive line but because the chargers suck at running the ball and joe lombardi likes to call screens on like every third and goal or second and goal and long there's just no creativity in the red zone And, and again it's really herbert either making a play outside the pocket or Eckler having to like really like jam one in on, on third and one, fourth and one, which it feels like they're always like Staley always has to make a decision there. So there is some issues I have going forward that, you know, they're still not letting Herbert like throw the ball downfield more. They're still relying on him to convert a lot of third and fourth downs. And as you know, Timo Riske showed, they have like one of the lowest rates of converting a first down on a series of downs on first and second down. So they need to get better on early downs, but I think getting some skill position players, getting some offensive linemen back healthy will allow them to do that. But Tage, let's let's transition to the Dolphins. Before I go in on Tua, is there anything you wanted to say? Um, you know, as as someone who liked Tua coming out, and you know, I kept telling my friend Jason this year that I thought Tua was playing at a high level because he was driving the car like he was given the keys to drive the car. Like he wasn't getting any scratches on it. He wasn't getting any bumpers on it. He wasn't speeding. Like he was doing all the things that you wanted someone when you were letting them, you know, kind of drive your car. But I, I always was telling him, I don't know if that means he'll be good in the future. Like, like I think like what he's doing right now is impressive and his anticipation and accuracy is clearly there. But like, I I just don't know if it'll be, you know, something that's repeatable because we've seen this with Jared Goff in 2018, where he drove the car really well, but it didn't mean a ton of future success for his time in LA. We've seen this with Baker Mayfield in 2020, where he was able to manage, you know, kind of what the Browns offense was set up for him with heavy play action and, you know, open receivers yeah. often. And he didn't mess up, but it didn't mean, you know, future success for him. With the Browns, I still think Tua has a better chance than those two did to succeed long term. But, you know, Tua didn't play well in this game, but he wasn't awful. Who I think was awful was Mike McDaniel, who I've been a really big fan of this entire year until, you know, this game where there was there was no easy buttons, like you would say, for, you know, what Tua had to do. Everything was was really downfield. You know, Tua had a 90th percentile dot of 12 yards. And like it, it was just like forcing throws uh, down the field, intermediate, super, super high pass rate, you yeah. know, given that the Chargers were playing in uh, pass defense looks for most of the game. And it was just like the lack of adjustments and 
Um, you know, kind of like getting out coached by, by Brandon Staley, I think was more of the reason why the Dolphins offense didn't look good in this game compared to Tua just like having like an, an awful game. I, I, again, like, I don't think he like played amazing. I don't think he played well, but like, I also don't think he was like terrible in this game. Yeah, that's a, that's a fair assessment. Um, I, I didn't necessarily think he played well at all either. I don't think he was like awful. Like we've seen him in, in games or years past, but the thing with Tua is I think the Chargers just attacked his weaknesses and either he or McDaniel didn't have an answer. So, you know, obviously his weakness is he can't, he doesn't have the arm strength, so he can't really throw outside the numbers if, you know, in tight coverage. So when we talk about margin for error, guys like Robert Mays and Nate Tice have used this word a lot, Herbert, Allen, Mahomes, Aaron Rodgers, Stafford elite arm strength they can put it on a rope and they they can wait a little bit they can you know their arm strength is much superior to guys like Tua and they don't have to be like super accurate they don't have to be perfectly on time with the throw because their arm strength will allow them to get get it there so Tua has to attack the middle of the field and if you look at the way the Chargers defense was playing it was all inside leverage from the corners they were saying if they were Brandon Staley literally was staring at Mike McDaniel and telling him if you we we're daring you to run corner routes, go routes, we're forcing you to beat, we're forcing Tua to beat us outside the numbers. And if he does, then maybe we'll adjust or maybe we'll keep forcing him to beat us there. And he couldn't. And that's I think the problem. I do, you know, obviously data isn't everything. I did look at some of the stats behind um, you know, the Dolphins receivers. So there there were 121 routes run by receivers or tight ends by on the Dolphins. 39.67% of them were charted as open by PFF's charters. The Dolphins season average is literally like 39.6. So it was, I think, like an average play calling game for McDaniel. I do think he tried to test the middle of the field um, too, too often early in the game. But here's one interesting thing about the Dolphins, and you brought it up. The 12.0 A dot. Do you think Tua and McDaniel in general are going through what the Bengals went through last year? where the Bengals did whatever the hell they wanted to in that middle stretch against some really bad defenses with beat up secondaries. Very, very similar to how the Dolphins took advantage of the Bears, the Lions, the Browns, and the Texans, four of the bottom five pass defenses per pass EPA. And Mike McDaniel just copied that game plan because they did whatever they want over the middle of the field. They did whatever they want in the deep part of the field. And Guys were running open in the Niners game. Tua just missed them. So he thought he could just keep doing that. And there was no in-game adjustment to, you know, maybe run some stuff underneath. Like, do you think the the Dolphins are kind of approaching that Bengals territory or do, is that a false claim? Mm -hmm. this, no, that's actually a really good analogy or comparison. And like, this is kind of what every offense has to go through that doesn't have, uh, you know, a super soldier quarterback when they're playing at a high level. We saw the 2018 Rams go through the stretch where, you know, they got um, smashed by the, the Bears and the Eagles in back-to-back -back games and had to adjust their offense to make the Super Bowl run. Um, we saw this with the Bills yeah. last year where their offense went into kind of like a mid-season lull. And, you know, that might be happening again for them right now where they have to throw their, their counterpunch. And that's what, you know, has to happen with Mike McDaniel. You know, these are things that, you know, a blueprint has kind of been put out on how to slow down this Dolphins offense. You know, they still show they can hit on explosive with that Tyree kill touchdown where Michael Davis, you know, ended up getting tripped up. But like those are still explosives that they're going to hit on. 
it's a lot of like the um, in-between stuff that like they, they need to get better at. And like, we're about to learn a lot about Mike McDaniel and Tua and, uh, you know, kind of like Jalen, uh, Jalen Waddle and Tyreek Hill's abilities to not play exactly in their game yeah. that they want to play. And they're going to have to do something different that they haven't done uh, for a lot of the season. And you know, I think we're going to see a ton of motion um, that kind of goes around the line of scrimmage to kind of beat the press coverage. And then we're also going to see a lot of crossing routes instead yeah. of the typical slants and um and goes that we're used to seeing from the Dolphins receivers I think it's going to be a lot of five-yard crossing routes where since these defenders want to play so tight to them in inside leverage can you get them to have to you know go over the linebacker that's yeah. standing five yards off the ball or you know kind of run into each other like as they're going yeah, exactly yeah so that, that's what I think the counterpunch will be for Mike McDaniel he's a lot better at this stuff than I am so we'll, <laughs> we'll see what we'll see exactly what he does but I I'm still you know um cautiously optimistic yeah, about the dolphins it. pass offense going forward i'm i'm cautious cautiously optimistic about mike mcdaniel i think like i don't know i don't really know what to think about Tua because i think like obviously the four game stretch where he was lighting it up against some bad defenses kind of like we had to adjust our prize like we would have been bad analysts if we didn't but what we've seen over the past two weeks is like he gets so fixated on his first read and i can i think that again is part of why like he had a lot of success against the browns without JOK and the Bears without Roquan and the Lions are starting Alex Anzalone over the middle, right? So obviously a one read thing is going to work a majority of the time. I think like if they are going to run those type of man beaters or at least like press beaters, like Tua is going to have to be able to progress through his reads that if the first rub route isn't there, he has to go be able to look back across the field. And like, again, I'm not a professional tape watcher, film grinder, but watching back over that game, it was uh, play action throw to the slant play action hit the crossing route over the middle and it there was no look to the check down there was no look to the running back going into the flats and i get again that's where i think um it's comparable to the bengals last year where burrow didn't take the check down that often and th it is there most it was there they, he just didn't take it and the final point i'm going to leave people with is this i see a lot of similarities with the 2018 rams where you have a, a, like a very smart, young offensive mastermind with a quarterback with arm talent deficiencies, but is, is a solid quarterback overall, have an extremely hot start to the season, go cross country, you know, Miami to San Francisco and LA to Chicago, play a very smart defensive coordinator, Vic Fangio, D'Amico Ryans, struggle, that blueprint gets sent out to the rest of the league. And the next game, they also stink it up, lose, going cross country again. LA to Philadelphia and Miami back to LA. And then they, you know, don't perform at as high of an offensive level for the rest of the season. And now the the Dolphins have the bill, get the Bills in Buffalo. And as we know, the Bills are one of the sharpest teams in the NFL. So I'm sure Leslie Frazier is going to have a great game plan for the Dolphins. But it's like you said, I think Mike McDaniel is a very smart guy. He has shown the tendency to adjust the scheme on the fly. And I honestly, I think we see a lot more runs mm -hmm. going forward. I think he'll start running the ball kind of a, as a tribute to Kyle Shanahan uh, for the rest of the year. Mm -hmm. I agree. I, I I think we could see that as well. And, you know, the 2018 Rams were able to 
put it together and make the Super Bowl. You know, I don't know if the Dolphins are going to be able to do that in the vaunted AFC, but I still think they can they can make some noise because when you can get to a, you know, kind of back to the level that he was playing at before where, you know, he ha- he led one of the most efficient pass offenses in the league and you have the weapons that they have and the the scheme that they have, you know, that's that's possible. I I am worried about their defense, but you know, we don't have to to talk about that right now. You know, it, yeah. we can we discuss a lot of lot of a uh, lot of football there for sure. And so now we can transition into our Who Is Him Awards and our letdowns of the week. You are not him. You are not him. Told a bitch I'm him, quit playing. Trying to ride with a boss, what bitch get in. Trying to stay on the road like the Michelin man. Put an M on your head like a Michigan fan. And now we will do our Who Was Him Awards of the Week, best players and coaches from the past weekend. We each have three. Arjun, why don't you start us off? Yeah, um, I'm going to kick us off with one of the most underrated players in the NFL, DJ Reader who was an absolute animal for the Cincinnati Bengals defensive front. I think their run defense has kind of been um, night and day since he's come back. And, you know, he had a, he graded out very well by PFF five run shops against the Browns. Nick Chubb averaged like less than three yards per carry. And, you know, Wyatt Teller, Joel Petonio, two of the best interior offensive linemen in the league. He had his way with them, had his way with the center. He's kind of the key to the Bengals defensive or the, the key to the Bengals run defense. And he was, um, he was phenomenal on Sunday. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, I love the Bengals defense and, you know, DJ reader is holding up the middle of it. I, I like that one. I saw he got a pretty big shout out on NFL live yesterday too, which, which is I'm sure pretty cool for him. I want to talk about uh Panthers head coach, Steve Wilkes. Uh, you know, that we, we haven't talked about the Panthers, you know, basically at all on this show, but like, I'm starting to like notice like some of the things that they're doing there. So they've won three of their last four. And, you know, these have been three basically double digit wins. If you take out garbage time, you know, which I think has been really impressive. And like their loss was where they held the Panthers to 13 points. They were just able, or sorry, not the Panthers, the Ravens to 13 points. They were just able to score three points. So, you know, that hasn't done well. Their defense ranks third in EPA per play in the past month. And they're running the ball well. They rank seventh in EPA per rush. And they've used, they used play action on 65% of snaps this past week against the Seahawks. So the blueprint is there for them, you know, run the ball well, use play action to help Sam Darnold. Um, and like, I think it's just cool that, you know, with uh, kind of like how things went with Matt Rule, that Steve Wilkes was able to step in there and do well. And like, they're probably not going to win the division, but there's a non-zero chance that they do yeah, now they when, you know, there, there, there was a zero chance before uh, basically, um, so, you know, with, with kind of the bucks unraveling here, you know, I, I do hope that they can kind of make a push and, and, you know, kind of make things interesting down the stretch. Yeah. I mean, the bucks are, they could slip up and fuck around and not, you know, decide to win the division. <laughs> um, yeah, Steve Wilkes has been amazing. It, it's a great story. I'm curious to see how much, you know, publicity, publicity he gets for the Panthers head coaching job. But yeah, it, there's, there is a reason we don't talk about the Panthers, but maybe if they come into uh, the picture a little bit more, we can start discussing them. Um, I'm going to go, I feels like just another repeat for me, but Justin Jefferson is just insane. 11 catches, 223 yards, literally just beat anyone who guarded him. And so I tweeted out right before the game, just a reminder, like the lines bracketed Jefferson on 14 snaps. They they are going to play him in man. Like they're not going to change their game plan. And he just shredded them. And I mean, at this point, I, I'd feel comfortable just putting him as like the, the best in the league. I still think he's there's a 1A, 1B, and 1C with him, Devontae, and Tyreek. And I, I would put Jefferson as 1A. But the guy's unguardable. He's 
He's done everything. And thankfully for us, our Jefferson Offensive Player of the Year tickets are are still valid. <laughs> <laughs> yes. No, I mean, Jefferson was just phenomenal. Um, he almost had the 70 yard touchdown where his heel barely touched out of bounds yeah. that like might've changed the game. And, you know, when, when he scored that initially, I went back to my same old lions, uh, kind of rant there. Um, but like they, it, he was able to, to step out there. So we got lucky, but he was amazing in that game. So, so was Kirk, uh, before anyone comes at me for that. And, and like their connection is really cool right now. Uh, I've, I, I'm going to go with Trevor Lawrence. Um, you know, uh, it was brought up to us that apparently we had a lot of doubt about Trevor Lawrence a couple of weeks ago, which I don't think was doubt. I think we were just disappointed with yeah. the way he was he was playing um, for a couple of weeks, but he's really hit his stride here. And like he's had all the tools, which is why you could never give up on him. Highest PFF passing gate of the week, three big time throws, second in EPA per play on the week. Um, you know, just a phenomenal game. They have a huge game against the Cowboys that we're going to preview on our Friday Twitter spaces uh, when, when you know, we, we talk about that. And like, I'm really excited to watch Trevor Lawrence versus Dak because I think they're yeah. a very similar cluster of quarterbacks. <laughs> And like it's yeah. gonna be super interesting to see how that game plays out. That that game is the like film grinder bowl. <laughs> yes. Dak and T Law. <laughs> the, the guys that film grinders will never be able to give up on for you know for good reason. Mm-hmm. Um it's funny because T Law's best throw wasn't even caught. It, it was a dime for a touchdown to Zay Jones and he just dropped it mm-hmm. right in the bucket. It's it's been cool to see his kind of like resurgence since week nine. Hasn't thrown an interception, 10 touchdowns. Like he's he's been on it, and it's it's pretty good for jacksonville especially given like how their franchise has gone in years past um i'm gonna wrap it up with my guy brandon staley you know we talked about him before but that game plan was his best of the season stopping that elite offense with the most injured defense in the league you know whatever metric you like to use i'm gonna go with um you know pff wins uh wins above replacement replacement injury lost um you know pff whale that ben brown tweets out every sunday morning shows they were the most injured defense in the league and he still had his best game plan and again for the Chargers to make the playoffs they're going to need him to keep coming up with those uh keep you know being aggressive on fourth downs also like he was in that game um but i thought again he was one of the key reasons to why the the chargers won that game and he got a lot of love in the media for that as well Mm -hmm. yeah no i i love that and yeah shout out to ben brown um, when I was in Philly, I texted him a picture of Ben Franklin. I was like, oh, here's my Ben power rankings, Ben Brown, Ben uh, Johnson, Ben Franklin. Like that, that was my top three right there. So I'm glad he can do that. Whale things. And, and speaking of Philly, um, you know, Brandon Graham deserves a him award. Um, you know, I, I watched the the game in a in a Philly like bar area on on Sunday, and it was cool to see him get three sacks. Like the place went crazy every time he did it. Um, seven total pressures, 35% pass rush win rate, according to PFS uh, charting, which was the second highest of the week. And just the ego just has so many guys like they like any any type of, you know, kind of like thing that they throw out you. They always have something that that will, you know, surprise you yeah. or impress you about them. And like, that's why I, I, I really like this team so much going forward. And, and he's one of the reasons why. Yeah, I mean, we talked about it. They they can afford for Robert Graham or Robert Quinn to go on IR because they have guys like Brandon Graham, Josh Sweat, uh, Hassan Reddick. Like they have the guys at edge, and like I think the thing with their, them is like any one of them could go off on any given week. I think that's the thing. Like mm-hmm. Brandon Graham has the experience, the playoff experience. He's going to be key for them in the playoffs. So hopefully, you know, since we are rooting for our Eagles, um, he keeps that up in the playoffs going forward. Uh, but let's transition to the letdowns. Um, I'm gonna let you kick it off because this is a this is a good one. <laughs> uh, I I had to put Tom Brady on here. You know, I kind of ranted about him 
last week. And I got a couple of texts that said, like, I didn't realize you didn't like Tom Brady that much. And, you know, like that, I do have some bias against him. Like I can admit that, but like he was straight up awful against the 49ers, even though I don't think he's been that bad this year. Yeah. Like this was, you know, one of his worst games that he's played in a long time. He had the highest rate of open receivers last week of any quarterback um, as charted by PFF, but had a negative 1.4 completion percentage over expected negative 13.6 total EPA. <laughs> it really seems like he's just like waiting for the playoffs and he knows he can take advantage of an easy division and like host a home playoff yeah. game and maybe that's when he'll turn it on but like it, it he could show like a little more like uh you know kind of like ex like based on like his experience like he can show like that he's like more into the team than he's kind of shown and, like it's kind of strange to see him be like half checked out um like a like a second semester senior uh that has a full-time <laughs> offer already like that's that's kind of what he looks like yeah well again i, I don't really ha i don't really care for tom brady that much either um, so yeah, I don't think he's cooked, but I think this was definitely like one of his worst performances, but I don't even know what to think of the bus. Like it's going to be a separate discussion, so I don't want to do it, but the bucks coaching staff is, is something. Mm -hmm. Um, okay. So I'm gonna wrap it up. I have to go with typical Gino, Gino Smith, who had his worst performance of the game or of the year, five turnover worthy, uh, throws in, in this game, which is the most he's thrown. I think in his career, we've kind of been on the Gino train. But the thing with Gino is, like, I think after the really hot start, the first five, six weeks of the season, he has regressed a little bit um, in terms of his film as well as, like, the production via, like, EPA. Um, it's not to say he's not a good quarterback. I still think the tape he puts on week, week in and week out is still that of, like, an NFL starting quarterback. But he had some trouble against the Panthers' defense. And it, it's tough because the Seahawks were trending towards being a playoff team. Um, but you know, now that Gino's kind of like lost this game at home against the Panthers, lost the Raiders game at home. It's, it's tough to like, or he, he wasn't the reason they lost that game, but you know, I, I do think Gino's regressed a little bit and, um, it's kind of unfortunate to see because he was on a very upward trajectory to start the season. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know. I I thought it was a great story for Gino to play well. You know, the Seahawks are 50, 50 to make the playoffs now. And as that Broncos pick keeps getting better. You know, the door just keeps opening a little bit more each week for them to draft a quarterback and move yeah. on from Gino this year. Um, you know, I, I hope, you know, whether it's in Seattle or somewhere else, he succeeds next year, but yeah, he has, he has regressed a little bit. So that's all we have for you guys this week. Um, you know, again, appreciate everyone listening to, to all the shows that we did last week and, you know, another shout out to Judah Fort gang for, for coming on and talking to us as well. And so, you know, we're finishing up our semester this week, uh, you know, both of us on Thursday and Friday here. So we thought it'd be fun to do a Friday Twitter space again, like we did a couple of weeks ago. So, you know, if you want to come and join and, you know, click the speak button on Twitter, uh, you know, we'll, we'll probably be doing this around 4 or 5 p.m. Eastern time like we did last time. So just join on and like, you know, speak to us. And, you know, we love to talk football with, with anyone that'll talk to it, uh, you know, with us. So just, just be on the lookout for that. And then we'll, we'll record that episode and, and upload it to uh, wherever you get your podcast. So again, appreciate everyone for listening and until next time and take the points. <laughs>